Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Well, it's 2020, folks. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic decade. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to 2020. It's going to be a good year. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. From 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions related to this month's subject of vibrations, frequencies and uh, cell repair and regeneration through sound and vibration. The uh, program is a live program, uh, like I said, from 7.30 to the end of the show at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll open up the phone lines for people to call in. Uh, Dr. Raymond, P- PhD, uh, is joining us again. And as he has done for the last oh, 10 years, I think now, um, is uh, a wealth of knowledge. And uh, whilst I know he doesn't express himself as a, uh, uh, what would you call it, an expert on sound, uh, he knows enough about a lot of different things that I know he can weigh in on the subject of some of the most interesting and recent 2019 and 2020 publications based on research that is accessible through the PubMed website being done in a very interesting field of medicine uh, and some of the uses for, excuse me, for sound and um, electrofrequency uh, magnetic uh, spectrum uh, type vibration uh, is used in the treatment of cancer. So we've got an interesting article to open uh, up a little bit later on. Um, so just by way of uh, introducing the show, my name is Andrew Murray. Uh, I run a business called Western Botanical Medicine. I've uh, been a naturopathic uh, doctor here for 23 years. Um, we manufacture our own range of uh, medicinal herb extracts and deal with a lot of people uh, all over the nation, uh, consulting about a wide range of uh, health conditions. And has for the last 10 or just over years uh, been very much uh, working with Dr. Pete to get his insight onto what I thought was the way things were when I graduated in 1999. Uh, I did a four-year degree in herbal medicine in England uh, after a three-year degree in botany and um, was taught by medical doctors and physiologists and endocrinologists and pathologists, and they all came from City Hospital in London uh, and various other medical institutions and were basically teaching the same kind of dogma if you like and I know Dr. Pete and I have opened up quite a few discussions based around the errant uh, recapitulation of supposed facts of which Dr. Pete's very um, able to expand and show the defects in the understanding and the dogma which has unfortunately guided medical decision, medical technology uh, but anyway without further ado let's just see if uh, Dr. Pete's with us Dr. Pete you yep, on? Yep. Yeah. Hi. Great well thanks so much for joining joining us in this next decade I uh, <laughs> I want to put the question to you I hope you'll be around for another decade <laughs> I'm planning on it <laughs> yeah good good okay so uh, for those of you perhaps have never listened uh, to the show before you've not heard Dr. Pete uh, Dr. Pete would you just outline your professional and academic background for people to understand where you're coming from um, I had a master's degree in humanities and uh, after about 10 years went back for a PhD in, in biology, University of Oregon, in 1972, uh, on reproductive aging was my dissertation topic. Okay, so reproductive aging. So you've been pretty intimately 
associated with all of the factors around reproduction uh, and organized cell growth to maximize the uh, organism's potential. I know having uh, worked with you, uh, especially um, surrounding uh, things like um, you know neonatal health, uh, children's health, and the kind of uh, foods, which are very much a food-based um, scientist in terms of not buying into the fads of all the things that are thrown at us through supplements, but you're very much a kind of uh, a very natural kind of approach to uh, treating disease. And uh, I know you don't really generally advocate a lot of supplements, but I know that progesterone uh, is one of your pets, if you like, having you probably studied that a lot during your PhD in terms of its use as a, uh, a factor in organized cell growth and uh, anti-inflammatory processes. Um, incidentally, uh, some of my experiments had to do with the uh, electrical behavior of tissue under the influence of progesterone, estrogen, prostaglandins, and so on. Interesting. Okay, so the, uh, we're going to get into that. So I don't know. Um, let's just let's just hold that thought for a second. So um, I think I'm hopefully going to be able to prime you to um, bring that back up again but uh, you've always mentioned and this is kind of a little bit off the off the side of the uh, topic thrust as it were um, but you've always mentioned estrogen as being an excitotoxic molecule and um, unfortunately most women who are listening or perhaps maybe the more educated ones that understand a little bit more about what you've, you've taught over the last 30 or 40 years, probably understand estrogen as being a female hormone and, um, you know, the whole hormone replacement therapy thing really pushed it as a pro, uh, pro-life pro hormone. You know, they want to say that it'll help your bone thinning uh, stabilise. It's good for osteoporosis, as it were, and it's good for uh, degenerative, <laughs> degenerative conditions when actually it's a very hormone that is based and impl- implicated in inflammation. Uh, and excitotoxicity. Um, so I, I was very, very excited to see the articles when I was looking uh, for the material for today or to this evening's talk, um, basing it on um, sound, vibration, um, cell signaling. Uh, I was going to get. I'm going to get into a little bit later. I want to get into the kind of tuning forks, resonant frequencies. Uh, a little bit about rife, although I know you've already said that you you know you, you found it interesting, but you don't know too much on it. So I'm not asking you to be an expert or anything on that. But um, whilst I was looking through the paperwork, um, I saw a very interesting article uh, on breast cancer, and um, the the uh, t- the journal article actually wasn't one of the newer ones. But most of what I saw with uh, sound and vibrations were actually in 2019 and 2020 publications. So I was like, I was pretty blown away. And I think this is becoming uh, another resurging uh, subject for people with science and academia are in the forefront to actually prove this now as being a modality. It's a little bit like the whole tesla battery car thing you know coming to, into a fruition hopefully to put the whole fossil fuel thing firmly under the under the rug and, and bring forward a new clean technology but um i find a lot of the articles that i see on pubmed as much as i know you've said in the past they are 
not exactly the best places to go and there's a lot of corruption there obviously in any medical research depending on who's funding it but very interesting to find in this age that we're in and definitely with the internet and computers uh, at the forefront of our ability to search and index things that people are actually picking up a lot of these things that would have been just put down to new age just crystal dangling and you know just not really given any scientific foundation upon which to voice their findings but uh, most of what i saw there in, in 2019 was fairly fairly pretty cool uh research that's being done on things that i'm very happy to see so uh, this one particular article, even though it was a 2013 article, the others that I'd like to cover with you uh, as we go through this, uh, mainly 2019 and 2020 documents, and I'll give people um, a, a link for these if people want to go and search these themselves to find out um, what we're talking about. But this 2013 one, um, it was titled Low Intensity and Frequency Pulsed Electromagnetic Fields Selectively Impair Breast Cancer Cell Viability. Um, so this was a uh, an article of which the abstracts uh, just go through the introduction methods results and conclusion uh, but essentially uh, they were saying that this pulse electromagnetic field therapy uh, was a very good treatment uh, for breast cancer that didn't affect normal tissues uh, and it was non-invasive obviously and could be potentially combined with existing anti-cancer treatments now I think they have to put that in there anyway as a kind of um, a caveat to uh, not displace a conventional treatment because I think that's the dominant paradigm. And But just to say that, actually, they found uh, a good reduction in breast cancer growth using these pulse frequencies. And hopefully uh, we'll get into this in a little bit as we go on. But um, do you have anything to uh, add to what was uh, used here as a kind of... Uh, um, low intensity low frequency vibrational output that directly affected these cells they weren't in that experiment uh, paying attention uh, to the effects of frequency uh, so it was just uh, really uh, giving some kind of ex excitation to the cells uh, but uh, uh, other people like the, the rife tradition have in trying to uh, identify f particular frequencies that are, are more effective at uh, either exciting or calming the cells. Uh, in the 60s, uh, people were trying to use direct current uh, to control uh, cancer growth. Uh, Professor uh, Johns Hopkins uh, published an article saying that he had regressed mouse mammary tumors Mm -hmm. just using the application of, of direct current uh, polarization uh, the, 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 uh, so just applying current but not a uh, not a not, a, not, not pulsing huh. okay um, it's known that uh, cancer is uh, electrically excited right. it's like a, a wound that is stuck in an electrically excited negatively charged condition Okay, and um, just, I mean, for the as much as much uh, death and morbidity that cancer is responsible for, cancer cells are not exactly strong. They're pretty weak, aren't they? They are yeah. very fragile in a lot of ways, and so um, I think some of the some of the um, work that's been done, either vibrational or electrically, uh, certainly has 
validity in disrupting um, that cell stability because they don't particularly have very stable um, membranes in terms of the uh, normal architecture of the cell. And being electrically charged and excited, I think, makes them more susceptible to vibrating energy fields, such as in that experiment. Uh (coughs) Okay, so um, what do you... When I started looking at this, I, I, I saw that most of um, the articles that I pulled out that I want to just go through with you uh, using this uh, pulsed electromagnetic fields, most of these, and they were always, obviously, because that's how we do it now, quoting these in hertz, uh, whereas before, um, you know, 50, 100 years ago, they, they were called, maybe a little bit earlier than that even, they were calling them cycles per second before they termed it hertz and um, before that, they didn't even really understand or have a concept of the second before about 1830, which I found that was quite interesting, that um, most time uh, is, me- well, originally measured by the sun or the passage of the sun, and that's how uh, people measured time, given that that's a celestial thing that it transcends our earthly um, fixation on the planet, but that once they had... Uh, devised this method for measuring time and then came up with the second. Um, then the cycles per second and the hertz became uh, a scientific, if you like, valid measurement of frequency. And then the whole uh, industry, if you like, sprung up around this and then uh, getting later on into solfeggio tuning uh, and what most musicians that I've spoken to that said, oh yeah, we just tuned to 440 hertz now and it's it's not the way it was and if you really like Gregorian music or Baroque music, um, it was definitely not uh, 440, it would have been 432 hertz and how there's a subtle change in that. But getting back to frequencies and how um, a specific frequency can affect a cell given that we are 90-something-plus percent water, um, all of the molecules in our body, and not even the watery ones, even the more kind of uh, solid uh, cells, have membranes that are fluid and can and do respond very much to vibration, and that's something that we have just been part of, you know, growing up and uh, evolving, and, uh, you know, we're subjected to the sun's ultraviolet and infrared and and all those spectrums that we kind of live with and i think in in going through some of the other discussion uh i wanted to hopefully bring bring your knowledge out on uh with the current deployment of 5g and how there is all these you know fairly worldwide protests about 5g and then pulling down 5g towers and this you know having to bring up these big (laughs) Uh, committees to discuss this because there's such an outrage at what could potentially be a very disruptive technology in some ways um, that we are very much uh, organismic and sensitive to light and vibration light being a frequency um, and all of these things whether it's photons of light or it's energy whether this energy is high energy obviously the radiation which is very bad for us but there's very low um, frequency electromagnetic fields are even lower than the kind of background. They said that the Earth uh, kind of resonates at about um, 8, I think it's 8, just under, just under 8 hertz. Uh, they were using uh, frequencies between 1 
uh, one in eighty, I think. Um, and some of these were more more down in the sort of nines, tens, twelves, thirteen, and fourteen um, hertz, uh, and actually showing that people were getting benefit from this. And there's a whole um, breast cancer article introduction. Uh, you was you were saying again that they weren't. Um, so much focusing on the frequency of it, or the uh, what? Uh, yeah, in the sixties, uh, the uh, doctrine. Uh, there are still people uh, arguing that cell phones aren't uh, causing brain damage or cancer and so on. Uh, but that argument uh, that cells are pretty immune to various frequencies started uh, back in the late forties when radar was uh, accidentally killing people who stood in front of the the radar antenna. And uh, the uh, authority opinion at that time was that it was only by overheating uh, your your brain or other organs that uh, electromagnetic injury could harm you. And in the 1960s, uh, that was the dogma that neither sound nor electromagnetic energy uh, uh, below a, a certain uh, frequency and energy could have any effect on the uh, units of the cell, uh, such as chromosomes or mitochondria. Mm. And uh, a person was working with muscle cells in culture and measuring the activity of ATPase, uh, which uh, uh, controls the, the disposition of, of energy in the cell. Uh, they found that, uh, I think it was the pitch of 440, which was very powerful at, at uh, activating that muscle enzyme. And uh, they showed that the conventional theory of the cell uh, it was impossible uh, for that low frequency, moderately low energy, that the, the dog, dogma uh, says that the energy concentration per micron or, or any unit of, of space mm-hmm. is too low to uh, do such things as causing chemical changes. But uh, the person demonstrating the effect showed that, uh, in effect, the cell structure was acting as an antenna, right. uh, concentrating, gathering energy from mm-hmm. uh, several microns of, of uh, space and concentrating it so that it could act on the enzyme. Uh, that's the uh, essential difference. Uh, at that time, uh, the, the conventional opinion was uh, that it would be impossible to make a magnetic resonance imaging device because of that same uh, uh, idea that the cell is organized randomly. Uh, But it took uh, the interaction between Gilbert Ling and his organized water uh, explanation of of cell function and Raymond Damadian, who um, uh, realized that uh, if uh, Gilbert Ling was right about how water behaves, so you can make pictures of the water in cells uh, electromagnetically. And uh, so uh, his invention of the MRI uh, device uh, really uh, changed 
the possibility of explaining cell function. Okay. All right, so uh, you mentioned, I just want to quickly put this up there before I uh, just let people know how to call into the show. Yeah, you mentioned that in the 50s and 60s that was happening, and that just uh, just triggered me to think about all the bomb testing and how they were trying to tell us all that the uh, atomic bombs were completely harmless and how people could stand in front of them and they wouldn't get, <laughs> wouldn't get any any negative effects from it. So they were saying the very same thing about the low-frequency, low-energy, uh, although the atomic bomb was the opposite end of the spectrum. It was very high-intensity gamma rays, and it was very, very damaging. Um, but they really wanted us to try and cover that whole thing up, the whole radiation industry, and that uh, everything that we've got now from x-rays to PET scans and uh, you know, CAT scans has all come from that, and it's still being covered covered up and just made harmless, as it were. Yeah, that, that's part of the reason that uh, they denied that Gilbert Ling uh, huh. had an accurate description of the cell, because if his picture of the cell is right, uh, then radiation, uh, electromagnetic energy, and so on, it's very relevant to yeah. health function. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let me just uh, get, let people know how uh, to reach us here. So you're listening to Ask Your Web Doctor, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, the number here from 7.30 on, if you'd like to call in with questions, uh, related or unrelated to the evening subject of vibration, cell signaling, uh, and everything surrounding sound and vibration uh, as a modality for treatment. Uh, the number here is 707 707- Nine two three three nine one one. So again, seven zero seven nine two three three nine one one. Okay, so Dr. Pete, that, um, that the first article then um, I read out the breast cancer treatment uh, selectively damaging breast cancer cells, selectively leaving regular tissue unchanged, um, was done with a frequency from twenty to fifty hertz and. Um, they used 30 to 90 minute exposures and uh, said that these were the optimum parameters for selective cancer cell killing activity. So that was pretty interesting. I don't know how much for it. I didn't look at cell um, cell death from breast cancer any further because I was looking at lots of different um, types of treatment to different types of pathology that would be uh, mitigated through sound. <clears throat> um, the next one I was um, going to ask you about was um, bone regeneration. I, said, I found a lot of um, a lot of different abstracts and articles um, supporting this. Now, um, one of them here, a 2019 article in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, uh, was translational insights into extremely low-frequency pulse electromagnetic fields for bone regeneration after trauma and orthopedic surgery. Now, if you open the link up, I'm not saying you have it, but if, if people want to find out what these are, when you open the link up, uh, there's lots of information there showing how um, people with different traumas uh, and surgeries that were done um, were treated with sound and how this improved osteoblastic activity. So the actual, uh, what we under- what I understand at least at this point in time about bone building and bone breaking um, organ- organs within the bone, so the osteoblasts build it and the osteoclasts break it down for remodeling, um, that this sound actually had a very specific effect on the osteoblast to improve bone uh, mineralization and bone formation and structure so that was pretty interesting uh, another 2019 document have you have you heard of um and i know this kind of probably plays a little bit into ultrasound but i'm not actually sure of the frequencies that uh, ultrasound works at uh, uh, they, they um for, for treating uh, things they use a, a 
anything from 50,000 to 100,000. Uh, but the wow. imaging is, is around a, a million cycles per second. 50,000 to 100,000 hertz? Um, uh, yeah, that is a very effective uh, wound treatment. Uh, around, I, I think, 1970 or earlier, someone discovered that putting ultrasound on infected tonsils uh, caused them to recover and uh, become normal, uninflamed, and that uh, uh, gradually, over the next 10 or 20 years, uh, they found that uh, bone healing was accelerated and soft tissue wound healing was accelerated, uh, similar to what happened in the tonsil. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> part of that is thought to be uh, the activation of, of uh, cell regenerating uh, signals such as nitric oxide and estrogen that accelerate uh, stem cell growth and uh, uh, multiplication, uh, the, the early stages of, of healing. Yeah. Okay, so um, if I just, I quickly actually had this article here in front of me, so I just wanted to, it's like I said, it was a 2019 article, and um, they said that here... Um, being used in the treatment of acute bone fractures uh, and bone fracture non-unions, uh, osteotomies, spinal fusion, osteoporosis, and osteoarthritis, um, and saying that these studies favored the use of um, extremely low-frequency pulse electromagnetic fields um, and saying that they wanted to establish indication-oriented treatment regimens and uh, to understand more the underlying mechanisms in the sense of the cell pathways and the events that are triggered so um, some of the other articles that I've got that I wanted just to outline here break down in pretty fine detail exactly what pathways um, these things are affecting. And people that are listening probably recognize the words interleukin, uh, prostaglandins, and these other uh, signals uh, of uh, excitation and toxicity and inflammation. Uh, a lot of uh, what was happening with this sound was that it was blocking a lot of what we understand as these pro-inflammatory pathways uh, and allowing a, either free radical quenching uh, of this kind of excited state during inflammation and trauma or was um, having another uh, indirect anti-inflammatory effect. Um, uh, the um, <coughs> imaging of bone density or osteoporosis uh, can be done with ultrasound. Uh, you can... Uh, Tell, tell the strength of a bone uh, as well as its density if you use uh, ultrasound. And it, since ultrasound stimulates uh, bone repair, uh, it would be reasonable if doctors would evaluate aging women's bones using ultrasound. Uh, but they x-ray them, and x-rays actually weaken the bone and accelerate osteoporosis. So... Yeah. Uh, it would be a, a good change of technology to use to switch over to ultrasound. Uh, a friend of mine who was for a year or more had had uh, liver enzyme elevation and uh, signs of uh, oh, hepatitis or developing cirrhosis had a very prolonged uh, ultrasound examination of, of her liver and a couple of weeks later went back for another uh, exam and her liver had completely recovered 
I suspect it was from that uh, very uh, half an hour or so of looking around uh, with an ultrasound imaging device. Yeah, was that related healing? Uh-huh. Do, do you, the, the mechanism by which that um, would have had the, an anti-inflammatory effect? I guess if we just look at something like um, hepatitis as an inflammation of the hepatocytes, um, inflammation quenching activity then of ultrasound would be um, a relative positive uh, mechanism by which that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know you've mentioned in the past that ultrasound is just generally a good healing uh, modality, whether it's for bones or tissue, soft tissue, or, or you know, um, you know, even yeah. Actually, let's have a look here. I think uh, some. Go on. I, I think the only place it shouldn't be used is around the head because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it tends to emulsify <laughs> tissue if, if it's too energetic and. Right. You don't want emulsified brain White matter, no. Okay, we do have uh, somebody who has called in at this point in time, so let's just begin uh, begin this decade's questioning with uh, this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from, and what's your question? Hi, I'm from Texas, and I have two questions. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one, do you think meditation is safe if you're trying to lower breathing rate and increase CO2, mm-hmm. or can it have bad effects, like increasing serotonin or something like that? Dr. Pete, meditation, obviously we all think about meditation as being relaxing, calminative, regenerating, but uh, what the gentleman's saying about CO2... Uh, I, I think most people tend to um, <coughs> hyperventilate too much, and if you can uh, just relax and stop hyperventilating, uh, you retain more CO2, and that has an anti-inflammatory everywhere everywhere in the body yeah so you'd advocate meditation correct yeah yeah definitely okay caller was that, i think you had two questions that was the first one or yeah that was the first one and uh do you know what could help to reduce the need for sleep aside from increasing co2 because that basically helps everything D- did you catch that dr peter i missed uh, the... not not the whole yeah say that again please do you, do you know what things could help to reduce the need for sleep? Oh, to reduce the need for sleep. Oh, yeah. Well, how much sleep? How much? Uh, how much sleep are you getting, and what do you want to reduce it to? Because um, I, I know Doctor I mean, Pete I, I definitely I, I advocates around, a good ten hours. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, if, if you're not getting into the deepest phase of sleep uh, called uh, slow wave sleep or deep sleep uh, your tissue isn't being repaired adequately and so you need uh, more hours of it uh, and so if if you do things that will deepen your sleep uh, then uh, you can reduce it to the normal six to eight and a half hours uh, and uh, thyroid hormone and vitamin d are two of the most important things for uh, maintaining uh, deep sleep. Okay. And can vitamin D increase serotonin and worsen sleep, or is it just a matter of Um, getting into calcium uh, to counter that? uh, Yeah, serotonin and histamine are are both brain excitatory signals, and um, that's why antihistamines are used for improving sleep. Uh, they're uh, both anti-serotonin and antihistamine uh, drugs uh, do improve sleep, but you can do the same thing uh, with good nutrition, lots of calcium, 
vitamin D and, and uh, thyroid. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, now, um, some antihistamines obviously are sleep-inducing, correct? Because they purposely make these non-drowsy, uh, make non-drowsy uh, producing antihistamines. Do, do you uh, think there's any difference in the mechanism by which they're being? Well, uh, uh, histamine is basically uh, an inflammation signal, yeah. and insomnia uh, you are having in effect, an inflamed brain. And uh, you can quiet it by getting the energy production up with, with thyroid and sugar and uh, all of the nutrients. Uh, but the, the antihistamine chemicals are uh, everything that works in a different direction uh, from adrenaline. Uh, 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 adrenaline is antihistamine, but it is also excitatory and so insomnia usually involves both adrenaline and antihistamine. The uh, adrenaline is uh, attempting to turn off the, the histamine, but if you uh, get your energy up, you turn off both of them and let the brain uh, relax. Right. Now, so let's be, be clear about that. So relax and relaxation is not negative. I just want to make sure people understand this. You, when you say you, you, it allows your brain to relax, that's exactly what thyroid hormone will do through the correct utilization of sugar. And then when you said that during the nighttime is when most inflammation of the brain will happen, and this is because of a lowered energy state, um, adequate thyroid and adequate sugars prior to sleep or in the post six, pre-six hours to sleep and or during the night time will keep those inflammatory mediators down and reduce that inflammation. And um, most aging changes occur during, during the hours of, of sleep and darkness. Yeah, because yeah, you said darkness is not good for you, obviously. It's something we can't avoid perhaps if we're in bed at night time with the lights off in a dark place. But uh, the dark is not good for us. The light is actually what's uh, very energetically stimulating for us and um, supportive, etc. Okay, we have another caller on the air. So let's get this next caller on the air. Uh, where are you from, caller, and what's your question? Uh, hi, I'm from McKinleyville. Hey, what's your question? Uh, well, I have a question about um, <coughs> infrasound. Uh, we were just um, embattled with uh, a wind factory um, that proposed a whole bunch of uh, wind power mm -hmm. turbines. Yeah. And the uh, proponent um, denied that there was any effect to what's called infrasound, the sound produced by these turbines that are sure. below audible range. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or information regarding biological effects of of infrasound. I, I think cell culture gives an insight to what might be happening. Uh, uh, the infrasound frequencies are something around 50 per second, 30 to 30 per second, or uh, even uh, as low as 10 per second. But if you're growing cells in culture, they always lose some of their uh, properties that the they had in in situ in the organism, and uh, one of the tricks to uh, make cell culture more lifelike is to give it some kind of pulsation because uh, cell physiology depends on the fact that the blood is rhythmically pulsing through the system, and uh, the, the pulse rate is in the infra. 
uh, sonic uh, frequency. Uh, and there are uh, many other frequencies that every cell in the body uh, normally receives stimulation, uh, nervous uh, pulses, as well as uh, blood, uh, heart, heartbeat pulsations. So thank you. I take from that then you would expect there to be physiological effects from a constant infrasound. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that anyone has clearly demonstrated it, but uh, you can uh, use uh, uh, equivalent uh, pulsations to show that you uh, are changing the cell physiology in vitro. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for your call, Cora. Interesting question. Uh, I know there's uh, definitely been um, protest groups that have sprung up around wind farm sites and potential wind farm sites. Uh, I know England, um, parts of Norfolk in the east uh, east of the country there have uh, had a fair amount of wind farms because it's so flat and so windy. But, um, yeah, interesting question about infrasounds. Well, thanks for explaining that, Dr. Pete. Well done. <laughs> okay. Uh, the number here, if you live in the area, is 707 Nine two three three nine one one. The lines are open now until the end of the show at eight o'clock. Uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, is joining us on the show, and we're discussing uh, vibrations, cell signaling, uh, resonant harmonies, and healing frequencies. Although we haven't really got into too much of that at this point in time, but uh, very interesting questions. Anyway, good, um, Dr. Pete. Uh, before the next caller comes in, uh, I'm sure there'll be some more callers, but. Um, I wanted to just bring out some of the uh, parameters in which these 20, 20... This is a 2020 article here, so it's very new, very current. Um, and I think all the time there are more and more descriptive uh, processes to explain how... And I think scientists basically are committed uh, to needing to explain in full detail. And I think that's great because, I mean, with detail comes disclosure. With disclosure comes the possibility of reaching some novel uh, novel idea that might bring us into a 20th, 21st century um, appreciation of good health rather than the old paradigm of radiation and cutting things out and really not recovering very well. Um, actually, before I start, I think the, the lights have started flashing here, so let's make sure that we don't cut people off. Yeah, we have one more caller. So, caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? What's your question? Hi, I'm from Berkeley. Um, I have a, an appointment next week to start my interferon for my hepatitis C, but I had a, a very thorough uh, ultrasound on my liver to find that out. So should I ask them if I don't need the hepatitis C? I don't want to go through the interferon. Yeah, I'm hoping said, that he said interferon. Maybe that Are they still the ultrasound would cure me. Uh, well, I guess first things first. Um, are they still use? I didn't think they. I thought they'd stopped years ago, three or five years ago, using interferon because it was so brutal. Oh, okay, then I don't know what they're going to give me. I don't yeah. know what the treatment is. Yeah. I'm going to find out on, on, on next week. Yeah, I can't imagine it's interferon, but uh, Dr. Pete, I know what you're saying here about ultrasound and hepatitis, and uh, do you want to speak to that? Oh, oh not, not in a, a short right. time like this. Okay. Uh, have, have you? The only thing I think I would say to the person here that's called in about this uh, potentially, uh, I don't know how severe your hepatitis is, what parameters they've used to assess how much damage you may or may not have received. I know people are so 
different in their presentation. Some people just don't even know they've got it. Don't their labs look fine? They feel fine. Some people are crippled with it. Um, so I don't know about your situation. I think uh, what I would say to you is that if your blood work doesn't look bad and you don't feel bad uh, and you are relatively old sounds to me like you're dealing with it okay but it's uh, you know kind of personal question they'd be asking you about your previous labs your state of health etc to make a um make a valid call on what you would best do okay i'm 60 years old sit was that 60 or 50 60. 60 okay yeah all right and do you know what your uh, lab values for your inflammatory markers are for your AFP a- No I have I, I have no idea they just said it wasn't I didn't it wasn't very bad Yeah Yeah it's um you know it's a very personal call uh, I I know people have gone both routes unfortunately I know people that have had uh they had the old interfere on treatment uh they failed it uh, they wound up actually with cirrhosis, portal hypertension. They died from esophageal variceal bleeding, um, and it was terrible. Uh, I know other people that have had hepatitis C for 50 years, and they're absolutely fine, uh, uh, even though they've got high liver enzymes, which seem to implicate them in uh, liver inflammation and damage. And I know people that have got hepatitis, they've got perfectly normal enzymes. So it's a very widely presenting uh, disease, if you want to call it a disease. And I know Dr. Pete... You're almost on the fence as to whether or not it's actually a virus or whether it's actually uh, RNA that's leaked from cells from prior traumas. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the uh, test to identify it uh, has done more harm than the virus itself yeah. because of, of the uh, kind of desperate attitude that they take with things like interferon I think people who, who probably wouldn't have had any any problem if it hadn't been diagnosed yeah. uh, have been injured by some of the treatments they get. Yeah. Actually, on the point uh, on the point of this subject, I know years back uh, when I'd question you for a couple of patients that I'd um, you know spent time with and knew personally was on a kind of more personal level with them. Uh, you said, didn't you? I thought you said that um, ribavirin, which I think was one of the treatments along with interferon, that was a standard. Uh, treatment uh, was not, well, not actually that bad. I think one of those, and I don't think it was interferon. You always said interferon was like massively inflammatory and yeah. and very negative on the system. But ribavirin actually might not have been a bad compound to try. But yeah, I think it's less, less harmful. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know if that helps you in any way, caller. But uh, I, what I would do if I was in your shoes, I would definitely uh, assess your assess your labs and assess yourself. I mean, how do you feel? Um, okay. Uh, okay. You know, um, no, I feel really good. I, I feel really good. But yeah. okay, what's well, so one more question? What about the hydrogen peroxide, uh, the strong hydrogen peroxide that you you do those drops? Say that again. Hi- that? Hydrogen you peroxide. Do, you do treatment, treatment with hydrogen peroxide, like thirty drops a day. Oh no, you're not talking about MMS, uh, NMS, are you? The Miracle Mineral Supplement that's actually bleach. Which no, is, no, 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 okay. no. It's 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 actually it's hydrogen peroxide, and you can buy it at Daisy's. It's a human strength or whatever. Mm. Uh, well, Dr. and you Pete, start out like one drop a day and go up to thirty. Yeah, drops. that sounds just like MMS, which is actually uh, um, the same sodium hypochlorite, which is uh, regular household bleach. Uh, it was a fad, and I can't believe it's still on the internet. It's absolutely 
all over it and I'm kind of amazed that it's still going and still got such a strong following but uh, you'll find testimonials about this that and the other on it and it starts off at one drop a day and ends up with however many drops and there's people writing testimonials about how it's done this and done that and it's kind of unbelievable really but um, I would I would say that I would not I would not get involved with it. Dr. Pete, uh you've probably been have you heard about the MMS? It's like uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, there was a study in Italy that uh, identified it as a probable carcinogen. Right. Yeah. So I would probably I would probably not I probably I would not go down that route, ma'am. Okay, well I sure I sure got a lot out of this call from you guys. Um it was great. Yeah. And thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Okay, for okay, have a, yeah, happy New Year to you. Okay, uh, if anybody else wants to call in, we've got uh, 14 minutes, so we've got one more caller here, but the number in the air, if you're in or out of the area, it doesn't matter where on planet Earth you are, it's 707-923-3911. 707-923-3911. And let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Call away Dr. from? Pete, What's your question? I was diagnosed with osteoporosis 10 years ago. Am I... Oh. Could you turn your radio down, ma'am? I'm turning 66 in a couple of days, you know. And uh, supposedly I have an um, osteopanic spine, whatever that mm -hmm. is, a femoral neck that is osteoporotic yeah. in a total osteoporotic hip. Yeah. However, I feel fine, you know. Uh. I do. I just walked 44 miles to get my tooth extracted from Shelter Cove the other day. Oh, my gosh. Okay, ma'am, I guess first things first, before we let Dr. Pete answer and it, he'll have the some... vibrational thing. I'd like to talk about yeah. pulse waves and, you know, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. And I believe in music therapy. Sure. And pulse sonar waves are able to help bone growth. Sure are. I've got articles right in front of me, man. That's, I do believe it, yep. because, you know, I've been studying music my entire life. I have a degree from Catholic University of America. Could you turn your TV down? It's on in the background. Oh, it's not my TV. It's my radio. Your sorry. radio, yeah. If you could turn like it down. I hear what's going on, you know. Sure. And I am not deaf, actually, but, you know, I can hear things and talk at the same time. Here, I don't have a TV. I've never had a TV in my entire life. Okay, if you could turn the radio down, that it's would help down a lot. Now. Thank you. So, Dr. Pete, I know you know a lot about a lot of things, and osteoporosis is something I've questioned you on recently. But, uh, and I also have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. That goes hand in hand with osteoporosis, man. Yes, so, but mine's genetic from being Northern Italian. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not too sure about the relevance of that, but Dr. Pete, go ahead. Uh, vitamin K is very important, uh, uh, along with vitamin D and calcium intake. Mm -hmm. Vitamin K uh, prevents the uh, re removal of calcium from the bone uh, and uh, keeps it out of the soft tissues. Uh, the, the combination is much more effective than either one alone. Okay, so they get uh, vitamin K, uh, calcium, and D. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm perfect. Okay, well, let's uh, let's just see if any other callers are going to be calling in here in the last uh, nine minutes or so before we wrap the show up. Uh, once again, seven zero seven nine two three three nine one one, and Doctor Pete is joining us once more this decade. So, um, getting back to uh, until the lights go off here, but getting back to some of the um, some of the measurements by which they uh, support the abstracts that I've looked at. 
Um, this one particular abstract here uh, was showing that um, exposure to a cytokine um, production by lipopolysaccharide, which we've he- we've heard and discussed before in the past, uh, that this uh, compound LPS is responsible for inflammation. Uh, cells in, in this pathway, the pathway of the, of the inflammation, uh, basically adenosyclase and phospholipase, protein uh, kinase C, um, and several other protein kinases here uh, were were seemingly modulated by these sound waves, and they're saying that this is evidence of why this pulsed uh, electromagnetic field therapy had such a significant effect on inflammation and quelling inflammation because it's directly uh, interrupting these signal pathways that normal inflammation is uh, involved in. Um, I think um, normal activity has some of those uh, effects, anti-inflammatory effects, uh, if you're forced uh, into inactivity, uh, you develop a generalized inflammation in uh, probably all of the tissues, and free activity, uh, work that is productive using your muscles walking, for example, uh, rather than sitting. Uh, the normal activity of muscles uh, lowers the stress hormones and increases the constructive hormones, uh, such as progesterone and DHEA and testosterone. And normal activity in itself is an anti-inflammatory process. And I I suspect that these uh, certain frequencies are imitating the normal uh, rhythm of of proper activity. Cool. Okay, we do have another uh, caller who's... uh waiting here. So, Carla, you're on the air. Where are you from? And what's your question? Hi, my name's Julie, and I'm from Laytonville. Hi, Julie. My question is, um, I have fibromyalgia, and I'm trying to navigate through this still. I've had it for 10 years. But I find that when I get into a big city and I'm around a lot of uh, power lines and stuff like that, I start feeling a little not well. Mm Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if there was, like, any relationship between those two things. Well, Dr. Pete, your understanding of fibromyalgia, I know, is a little different from the current uh, medical uh, normal model of it, but... I I think uh, a lot of doctors are coming around to recognize the importance of uh, hormone balance, a good thyroid function, vitamin vitamin D, and keeping up the constructive uh, hormones or, or steroids like... Of progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. Okay. And especially as you're female, I mean, I don't mean this in any negative way, but because you're exposed and uh, in an unopposed way after your uh, menstruation has stopped to estrogen, that is very important for you to make sure you get adequate progesterone because it's the antagonist of the inflammatory estrogen, and that mm-hmm. in fibromyalgia. Uh, no doubt that estrogen excess or estrogen dominance certainly has a role to play in the tired, waterlogged muscles of which estrogen is a main cause. Oh, okay. Well, I'm 63 now, so I don't have too many mm-hmm. of, of those episodes. You don't, you don't, but you don't have any uh, any way to combat the estrogen you're still producing. You're, every cell in your body is still manufacturing or can manufacture and secrete estrogen, but your ovaries no longer function, and so therefore you're not getting progesterone exposure, which is very important to offset that. 
Okay. And which is part and parcel of the osteoporosis question. I was also wondering, um, but not to uh, say to Dr. Pete that we didn't mention, um, you know, progesterone um, as a, yeah, anyway, so carry on. Yeah, cortisol is a bone destroyer, and progesterone is the main antagonist of cortisol. Okay. So um, is there a book or something that I can get on this subject that you guys are talking about that you would recommend? You haven't written one yet, Dr. Peter, about it, have you? <laughs> 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 We've talked about it a lot over 10 years, but nothing's materialized at this point in time. But, um, Dr. Pete, what I would say to you, ma'am, is that um, at the end of the show, I'll give out Dr. Pete's website. He's got plenty of articles, actually, surrounding just what you're talking <laughs> about, uh, although a lot of it is, for the sake of it, very science-based, and um, some of it may be a little hard for um, a novice to grasp. It's very well grounded in science, and so therefore it's uh, it's very easy to catch the thrust of what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, you can find out more information if you're on the internet about some of those uh, concepts, precepts, and directions that you get taken in. Good deal. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Uh, you're welcome. Okay, sure. we got one more caller. I think this will probably be the last caller before we wrap up the show. But uh, caller, you're on the air. And what's your question? Where are you from? Oh, I'm a local uh, person. And uh, I believe it was Helga Clark that wrote The Cure for All Cancers. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the doctor approves of the device that she created to, you know, uh, tone out certain bacterial frequencies. Um, I can hang up now. I think she used just a a simple low-voltage direct current stimulator, and that device can be used productively, but I don't think she... uh, understood enough to use it productively. Hmm. Uh, yeah, interesting. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so I don't know, maybe we can squeeze one more in if someone wants to call in. It's 707-923-3911. Uh, otherwise, I'm sure we've got enough to carry on with here for a couple of minutes to let people know how they can reach uh, Dr. Pete. Uh, I think probably Dr. Pete, uh, I don't see the lights flashing here, will say uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, this month I uh, look forward to next month uh, obviously we uh, as usual but okay. thank okay. we didn't get in, we didn't get into as much as I thought we might do so we've got uh, material for next month if you're available I'd love to carry on the subject it's definitely uh, very interesting okay thank you okay so for those people who've listened to the show this evening and or listened to this on the audio archives or on the web um, Dr. Pete's web address is www.raypete.com. Uh, he's got a huge list of articles that have been written that are fully referenced, scientific articles that you would expect to see in any good journal, uh, fully referenced for the things that he's saying, so it's not just his opinion. Um, there's many, many articles from all sorts of different pathologies, so go take a look at his website. Uh, like I said, a lot of it's uh, very science-based, so maybe a little bit um, tough chewing for some people to get through it, but nonetheless, uh, what we need is good science to underpin a good direction to go in, because I don't think the medical model we're using at this point in time uh, is a particularly good model. It's certainly uh, fairly damaging in some cases and does not really tolerate too much criticism about it. So anyway, uh, what we do here on this show once a month from the third Friday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. is discuss alternative uh, treatments, alternative approaches, uh, and indeed bring up some old past 
uh, research that's been done that may either be revived in the light of current knowledge uh, or just because it's become forgotten it's just valuable to bring it up again to make sure people recognize that there is and has been and still is answers um, that are there and available so that people don't have to go down one particular route to get treated for a disease um, it's not always one pill works for everybody uh, obviously it's very far from that and i would encourage everybody to do their own research there's plenty of alternatives out there um, and like uh, that lady who called in uh, with hepatitis you know obviously if she is close to cirrhosis and she's dying and there's nothing else that can be done obviously there's a potential treatment for her which you know, in, in the light of current research seems to show some fairly significant um, results i won't say it doesn't um, but obviously you've got to understand it in the context that dr p understands things in so uh, it's not the last thing to do it's, probably, it's not the first thing to do perhaps but it'd be the one of the last things to do if everything else has failed um anyway so my name's andrew murray i run a business called western botanical medicine i produce uh, herb extracts of medicinal plants so i was trained in europe I graduated in england uh, and we do what we love. Uh, we've been doing it uh, over 20 years now. So uh, all the best to everybody out there who's tuned into the show, who maybe supports our products and our business. Our whole whole aim is to help you naturally. Anyway, uh, thanks for your time, and uh, until next month, Happy New Year. <laughs>